Okay, John chapter 11 is where we're at this morning, but I want to kind of begin with a little few thoughts up front. So we've been through 10 chapters now in the book of John. We're not quite to the halfway point. But so far what we've seen is that John wrote this book for a particular purpose. It's evangelistic. John's heart is that those that would read this book, that they would read it and they would see that Jesus is the Christ, and by understanding that, they would come to faith in His name and be saved. And we've seen that Jesus in the last 10 chapters, that He clearly has identified Himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God. But we've also seen that there have been these religious leaders that have kind of followed Him around. And four times now in the book of John, in these 10 chapters, they've tried to take His life. they tried to kill Him. Jesus is on a divine mission. God has been working behind the scenes, orchestrating events because He's moving Jesus towards the cross. And we as God's people need to understand that God has us on a divine mission. We are called for His purpose. And and God is working behind the scenes in our lives, orchestrating events, allowing things to take place for His purpose for His glory, but also for our good. As the people of God, we have to understand that God also allows suffering for His good. God allows pain. And sometimes for the Christian, this is very difficult for us to understand. Hey, I'm God's child. I mean, Lord, why am I suffering? But as we'll see through this study, this is one of the main ways that God works where He is glorified. When we are brought low, He is lifted high. And we'll see that in the text this morning. So we'll start in verse 1. We'll take it in section. We'll look at verses 1 through 4 first in John chapter 11. It reads, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So why does God allow difficulties in our life? First thing we'll see is that God allows suffering for his glory. God allows suffering for his glory. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, God whispers to us in health and prosperity, but being hard of hearing, we fail to hear His voice. Whereupon God turns up the amplifier by means of suffering, and then His voice booms. Now, the most important theme in the Bible is the glory of God. It's the underlying reason for all of God's work, for the reason for creation, but also for redemption. And we know that 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And the Word of God consistently proclaims that that God's creation, everything that He made is for His glory. Psalm 19, 1 says the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. God's creation, the things that He has made, it displays who God is, it displays His glory. From the the rising of the sun in the east and the setting of the sun in the west, God is glorified by what He has made. The reason I laughed is I said I reversed that in the first service. (laughs) My wife said, you've got to change that. But God also demonstrates His glory in redemption. 
Do you know that God displays His grace in us? Now, we're a bunch of broken people. But God, by His grace, has saved us. We don't deserve it. But when He saves broken people like us, I call us bumpy, bumpy people like us, He is glorified. For those of us that know Christ, He will display Himself to us and through us. And one of the main ways that He displays His glory is when we suffer. Now, I don't know if you know this, but pain is a gift. It's a gift from God. Without pain, we would be in a lot of trouble as people. And I don't want to say that flippantly. Because I know that there are many of you here, and I know a lot of your stories, and I know the kind of pain that you're going through even as I speak this morning. And and I don't want to make light of it in any way. But God uses pain, particularly for the believer. And He'll use it in the unbeliever's life too. But in the believer particularly, He uses it. And He uses it in so many ways, and we'll see in this message today how He uses it. Matter of fact, Philip Yancey wrote a book it's entitled, Where is God When It Hurts? And he quotes from a doctor, his name is Dr. Paul Brand, who's an expert in the study of leprosy. And Dr. Brand says, thank God for pain. I don't think God could have done a better job. And the main reason that a leprous person dies is because they don't have pain anymore. The, the, the pain receptors, the, the nerves have been destroyed by the disease. And so a leprous person, they can pick up something that's scalding hot and get third-degree burns, but they don't know they're hurt. They can cut themselves deeply and literally bleed to death and not even realize that they're cut. And oftentimes the way a leprous person dies is they die by infection because they don't know that they're hurt. Pain is necessary But it's necessary for us as well because God will use it. It's kind of a wake-up call for us that something's going on, there's something wrong. And in the spiritual realm, God uses suffering also that way to get our attention. And the Bible, when it talks about God's servants, those who are servants of God, every one of them suffered. If you think about Adam, Adam and Eve suffered. Their, Their firstborn son was killed. He was murdered. Abraham lost his wife Sarah to death. David experienced pain and suffering when he was rejected and persecuted by King Saul. And then he was betrayed by even his own son Absalom. Stephen was the first martyr. He was stoned to death. And every one of the apostles suffered and died for their faith, except for John, John who wrote this book. But John suffered. He was exiled on the island of Patmos where he suffered alone. And even Jesus, he's known as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And and he suffered great pain on the cross for you and I. But one thing I can say about God's people, God does not waste suffering. He will use suffering in our lives. And he'll use it for his glory. But also he'll use it for our good if we're open and we're willing to hear Now, John wants to make sure that his readers know exactly who the people are that he's talking about. And and one thing that's happened here is, is, is if you look at verse 1, it says that there was a certain man sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha, in verse 1. And so Jesus, he's in a place called Bethbara, and it's Bethbara beyond the Jordan. If you remember last week, we ended in chapter 10, verse 42, and, it's, and it says that many believed in him there. That's in Bethbara beyond the Jordan. And what happened is John the Baptist had preached there, and as the message went out, it planted seeds of faith. And, and then when 
when Jesus shows up, he has a harvest. And so that's where he is right now. He has this harvest coming in as Jesus is there preaching, probably doing some miracles, and people are being saved. And we need to understand that Jesus has a very close relationship with Lazarus and his two sisters. They're friends. As a matter of fact, Jesus stays at their house when he's in that Jerusalem area because they're in a place called Bethany. And Bethany is about 20 miles from Bethbara. And so John, making sure that everybody knows who the Mary is that he's talking about in verse 2 says, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. The reason he says that, we need to understand that the book of John was written a number of years after the Synoptic Gospels. And so, it's not known yet in this story about Mary. Actually, the next chapter, chapter 12, talks about Mary. But it's already known because the Synoptic Gospels, both in Matthew and also Mark, speak about the story where Mary anointed Jesus' feet with ointment and, and wiped his feet with her hair and tears. But Lazarus is sick, and I mean he's really sick. He's deathly ill. And so the sisters are concerned, and, and they send a runner to Jesus to bring the news that, that his good friend Lazarus is ill. Verse 3 says, the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And so here's Jesus. He's in Bethbara. He's ministering with the disciples. They're having an abundance of fruit. People are being saved. God's doing a work, and all of a sudden this runner comes up, and and we need to understand, too, that Lazarus was a faithful man. He was a man who, who loved his sisters. He loved the Lord. And so he's not sick because he sinned or did something. It's very much like the blind man who'd been blind from birth. Why was he blind? For the glory of God. Same thing we're going to see with Lazarus. He's sick unto death for the glory of God. And in that little note that they send, it says, behold. Behold means urgent. <laughs> it means, okay, listen up. This is really important. He whom you love is sick. Now, that word love there, that's phileo. That's brotherly affection, brotherly love. It's human love. And so we know on a human level, although Jesus is perfect, on a human level, that kind of love is not perfect. But it, them riding, they don't quite understand who Jesus is yet. They don't have full knowledge yet that He is God in the flesh. And so for them, they're saying, you know, the one who you, you love with a brotherly affection, he, he's sick, Lord. And, and in their mind, they're thinking, Jesus is going to stop everything, and he's going to travel quickly, and he's going to go there and rush back. Well, we're not going to see that in this story. As a matter of fact, in verse 4, it says, but when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to end in death, but it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. He says the sickness is not going to end in death. It does not mean that Lazarus is not going to die. It means it's not going to be its ultimate outcome. But also we see because of his response, it indicates that suffering and sickness and even death sometimes is in the will of God. That God allows that. And sometimes he wills it. And sometimes it brings him great glory. As a matter of fact, verse 4 at the end says, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. God is going to use the suffering of Lazarus and his sisters, as well as his death, for his glory. And actually, he's going to use it also for their good. But why does God allow suffering in the lives of his people? I think the best place that we can have that question answered is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to share with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, five things that I found in a commentary. It's just kind of going to go through it. 
and I'll share each point. I think it's going to really help us. First thing is God uses suffering to test our spiritual condition. God uses suffering to test our spiritual condition. A little backstory on 1 Corinthians 12. Understand Paul is writing this and he starts talking about a man that's had a vision. He's writing in the third person. And this man is really himself who's had a vision of heaven. And he's seen heaven almost firsthand. He's seen the glory of God. So much so that he says he can't even put it into words. And then he begins to write this. And this is what he says in verses 5 and 6. He says, on behalf of such a man I will, I will boast, but on behalf of myself I will not boast except in regard of, to my weakness. For I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, God uses suffering to test our spiritual condition. Paul is saying, I will boast not in the stuff and not what I've done. If I'm going to boast, it's going to be either to boast in my weakness so that God can be glorified. If there's going to be any kind of boaster, I'm not going to boast that I saw heaven or all these things that God is doing through me. I don't have that kind of boast. I can only boast in Him. And oftentimes what God will do and what He will allow is He'll allow difficult things in our life so we begin to see who we truly are in our heart before God. What are we truly trusting in? Who are we depending on? Or what are we depending on? Is it Him or is it something else? And, and nothing kind of strips away the veneer as quickly as pain. Isn't that true? And how quickly I've seen in my own life when when I kind of get lazy, I remember I talked to you last week about sheep like to wander. One of the ways God brings us back is suffering, is hurt, pain. I run back to my Lord for care, for help. And we really see, I think what he's saying is that we really see who we are when everything starts to go wrong. We kind of see the real deal. It's a testing of our faith. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter puts it like this, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Nothing helps me to see my own faults better than when I'm suffering. And I begin to see the areas where I'm weak. It's a testing. And it's kind of like when you, you know, heat up metal. You've heard this before. When metal is heated up, the, the impurities, they, they go to the top. The impurities, they, it's called dross. It comes to the top. And in the same way, God uses the heat of suffering to kind of lift it up. And the Lord wipes away the impurities when I begin to seek Him. Suffering is a test by fire. It's a purifying agent to let me see the real me. So that's the first thing. God will use suffering as that way. I, can, I get a, a sense of my own spiritual condition. Second thing, God uses suffering to humble us. God will use suffering to make me low so that He is lifted high. Now, sometimes when you think about the Apostle Paul, he seems almost invincible to pain. He seems almost like superhuman. This guy does all this stuff, and he's just, I mean, he does everything. If anybody has experienced pain, it is this guy. And if anybody should be boasting, it should be this guy. But instead, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians says this, 2 Corinthians 12, 7, because of the surpassing graceness of the revelations, for this reason, 
to keep me from exalting myself. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Twice he says that. The reverse is that, to keep me humble. (laughs) He's saying, man, God even gave him a messenger from Satan to keep him humble. Now, I don't know what that messenger was. Some scholars think that the messenger was actually the Corinthian church, that within it some, some false prophets had come in and they were disturbing the church and causing divisions, and that was the suffering. Others feel it was physical, that he had an eye issue, some kind of infection or something, or something wrong with his eyes. Whatever it was, it humbled him. It kept him from lifting himself up, of, of exalting himself. A man of God who was used greatly but yet he gives glory to God. It kept him low. It kept him humble. And the reason God sometimes allows difficulties in our life, suffering, is because we need to be humble. Because if we're not humble, we're not usable. It is the humble that he shows grace to. He does not exalt the proud. Psalm 25, 9 says he leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. And so what he's doing here with Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, he's going to humble them. Matter of fact, with Lazarus' death, it's going to be very humbling for the sisters. But there's going to be humility also found in the disciples as we go. So why does God allow suffering? Well, one, it reveals our true character, our true spiritual nature, what we're depending on. But two, it humbles us. But there's a third thing too. God uses suffering to draw us closer to himself. God will use the difficult times as a means to wake us up. When we tend to wander away, when our heart tends to drift, when we get kind of shallow and tired and just not interested in the things of God, guess what? Wake up call. And he begins to draw us back, call us back, oftentimes through suffering. It's interesting with Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8, it says, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Paul didn't run to try to find some earthly formula. He didn't go to some special clinic or go to yoga or Eastern meditation to try to lower his heart rate. What Paul did is he ran to the Lord. It was the first thing. Now, I'm not speaking about medical help, and I think medicine and technology is great. As a matter of fact, I think it's a gift from God for us in this day. And many people have been healed from from many sicknesses and ailments with medical intervention, and I'm very grateful for us. But the first place we run is Him, because He is the healer of our soul. He is the one that does the deep ministry of the heart. And when there's pain and when there's suffering, man, it draws us to Him. Those are the times that I've found in me that I am most desperate. Those are the times that I see in me when I've been wandering that it draws me back to Him. And you see this with the sisters here. In desperation, they send this note to Him saying, Behold, Lord, our brother, he's sick. You can, you can feel that. They're, they're, they're seeking the Lord. He's first. They know that He's the one. They, they've seen Him heal others. They know that He cares for them. He has a deep love and affection for them. And so they go to Him first. They say, Lord, help. And suffering, more than anything else, it draws us to Him. I saw this when I was a young Christian. I was only three years in the Lord, and Karen was pregnant with our daughter, Emily. And, and during the delivery, I didn't know this, and neither did the doctors, but she ruptured her uterus during delivery. Now, that's a very rare thing that happens, but she started to bleed internally. And so the baby was born, little Emily, and next thing you know, about 20 minutes later, she went into shock. 
and they rushed her into the operating room. Literally, I'm signing these documents, and the doctors are freaking out. They infused over eight pints of blood in her. She almost died. But by the grace of God, guess what it did to me? Man, I became a prayer warrior. I prayed like I've never prayed. It drew me to the Lord, crying out, Lord, please don't take my life. Don't take my life. Sometimes it's the pain that God can use at that moment to draw us. So He does use that. He, he, it helps to draw us. It humbles us. It reveals our spiritual character. But also the fourth thing is it reveals His grace in a special and a new way. God will reveal His grace through suffering. That's the fourth thing we see. The first half of verse 9 in 2 Corinthians 12 says, And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. It should say, my power is perfected in weakness. Having God's grace does not mean that God makes the pain or difficulty go away. Lazarus is ill. He's sick. As a matter of fact, he's going to get even sicker, and he is going to die. But what God is going to do for the sisters is he's going to give them the grace to sustain them through the pain. And that's often what God does with us in the difficult moments. It's hard, and I don't feel like I can do it. I don't feel like I have the strength to endure this one more day. But what it says here, it's not that he's going to take the pain away, although we want to pray for that and we want to ask if he'd show us that kind of grace. But if he doesn't, he makes a promise and it'll be sufficient. He'll give us enough, grace upon grace, the help that we need and the time that we need it. And guys, again, I I know that there are people here, you're suffering. And my kind of suffering doesn't even come close to some of the things that some of you go through. And as the pastor here, it it hurts me sometimes to not know how that I can even pray more fervently for you that God would perhaps move in a way that He hasn't moved, but perhaps what He's doing is He's using it to show His glory and to show you His grace in a new and a special way. And so He allows suffering in our life for this. And it's a key to the Christian life. And here's a key, you have to hear this. You will suffer. It's going to happen. It's a promise from our Lord. In this life, you will have tribulations. But what? Take heart. I've overcome. He is the one that overcomes. And it is in Him that we find the rest that we need. So He uses it to help us see our spiritual need. He uses it to humble us. He uses it so that we may see His glory in a fresh and new way. He uses it in all these different ways, but there's a fifth one. Paul tells us that God uses suffering to demonstrate His power, not our power. He uses suffering to demonstrate His power. God wants to show His power in a unique way through you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, the second half says, Most gladly, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul is is the kind of man that God wants to use. He's going to use him to change the world. He's going to use Paul in such a unique way, and he did. I mean, right as Paul's ministry began, he told him, you're going to suffer for me. 
And then, hey, let me show you what that looks like. So Paul knows right at the gate, at the beginning, okay, there's going to be suffering. But I don't think he had any idea how much. His whole life was marked with it. And so when Paul would be brought to the very last point of breath, he cannot do another thing. Guess what? Then Jesus was even stronger. And time and time again, the glory of God was revealed through this man that no one could believe had the strength to endure. It was Christ's strength in him and through him. And it was through that that God was glorified in a fresh and a new way. You know, I read kind of a neat article and story about a Christian geologist. His name is Dr. James Clark. And, and he went to the Soviet Union right after the, the Soviet Union, the communists, that, that whole thing about communism kind of dissolved. And he was asked to preach in a small Russian Baptist church. And many in the church had lived in prison because of their faith, and they were released. And so this church was full of people who had suffered. And so what this Dr. James Clark does, he begins to talk about, did you know that Adam was formed from the dust of the ground, that he was made of clay? And so being a geologist, he kind of takes this idea about clay, and he says, do you know that clay is actually composed of many microscopic mineral crystals that not even a light microscope can see? But under pressure, when clay minerals are crushed, they're not made smaller. As a matter of fact, clay, when it's crushed, it becomes larger. And the first thing that happens when, when the pressure comes on clay, it's made into slate. And so we know that slate is used in homes and in gardens and things like that. But if more and more pressure is put onto clay, then it turns into something that is like a precious stone. It turns into something called a garnet. And then if more pressure is put on it, it made, it's made into semi-precious stones. And so he goes on to explain that to the congregation, this is a geological process that illustrates how the pressure and suffering can be used by God to refine and purify and mold a person into a more beautiful soul. And then he said this. This is what caught me. He says, I will never forget when I, when I looked out at the congregation, and he said, and it looked like the whole congregation was like sparkling gems. He said, the babushkas, the little old women, he says, their eyes were gleaming bright with the tears as they recalled their past suffering. He said, what makes a gym so attractive, he says, it's the reflection. And these dear men and women were reflecting the glory of God as he used it in their life from their suffering. And it's the same thing that will do with you and I. It's for his glory and it's for our good. God allows suffering for His glory. That's the first thing. Second thing is God allows delays for His purpose. God allows delays for His purpose. Now, the saying goes that God's timing is perfect. I've just never thought that. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm hurting or when something's difficult, I just want God to move quick. And what I find is it really doesn't work that way. So, let's look at verses 5. Through 10, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, then he stayed two days longer in a place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, it begins with, now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Now, if you remember earlier, it said that 
in the letter that, that Jesus loved Lazarus, his friend. That word love there was phileo, but the word love here is agape love. Now, this is very important for this section. Agape love is God love. It's other-oriented love. A non-Christian cannot have agape love. The only reason you have agape love is because he's given you his spirit within you, that you can love another like God loves. And so what I see from this is, is a very good thing, is Jesus loves them with agape love, and in the same way that he loves them, he loves us. And so suffering, just so you hear me, suffering is often used by God, motivated through the grid of his love. He allows it through love. Now, you would think because Jesus has this deep affection for the family that he would rush back. But look at verse 6. It says, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You would think that he would rush back. It's only a day's journey. He could be there. So it's one day for the guy bringing the note. It's another day back there in two days. Perhaps he could save him. But he doesn't. What's he do? He stays two days longer. And what that tells us is that Jesus delayed his return to Bethany rather than immediately rushing there, and he did it with a purpose. And there's three purposes that I see that I just want to share with you. And the first purpose that I see is that God's timing, his delays are always motivated out of his heart of love for us. They don't come because he's upset. If you're his child... It's for your good. It's for His glory. There's a reason behind it. There's a purpose behind it. And that word love there is the agape love, that God, oh, they're oriented love. In times of suffering or grief, sometimes we can't see clearly, but Jesus as the good shepherd, He's not indifferent to your needs. He knows that you and I have these issues. He knows that you and I are suffering. And in that, sometimes He waits because the waiting will be more beneficial to you than hurrying. And it's going to be more beneficial to them. Now, we know that God loves us and He cares for us deeply. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in Luke 12, 6 and 7. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet one of, them is, one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. You are valuable to God. And this agape love that he has for us, it, it motivates sometimes while he'll wait. Even though we pray and we ask. So the first thing we see that everything that he does, particularly in this area of difficulty and delays, is motivated out of his love. But, but there are other purposes as well. And one of the purposes is that he molds our character through it. He, he develops us. He, he shapes us. He somehow shaves off those rough edges it is through the time of waiting. And I don't know about you, suffering's difficult, but sometimes what's more difficult even than the suffering is the waiting part. It's like, Lord, I'm hurting, but man, if you just answer me, I mean, that I love. But sometimes he has us in this period of waiting without an answer, either help or an answer. And it's at those times that begins to shape us. It makes us more dependent, more willing to just lean on him, even without an answer, giving him the glory, saying, Lord, whatever transpires. Even if you never answer me, I will trust you in the midst of this flame. Another purpose is that it strengthens us. It strengthens our faith. The times of suffering, the times of difficulty are the ways, it's the main means that God strengthens us and builds our faith. And another thing is it honors Him. 
He's God. And we have to, to give him that rightful place as God. Now, here's the issue. If we're not trusting him, that means that we're trusting in ourselves, and that is a scary place to be. In the difficult times, trust him because he'll use it. And the last thing we see is that God, his timing is just the right time. See, for us, he's late. For us, man, Lord, come on, I'm asking the question, I mean, how long do I have to pray? How many different ways do I have to pray? What do I have to do to have you move? But when God moves, His timing is absolutely right. And so, the disciples, Jesus is going to command them to go back to Bethany. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, then after this, He said to His disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to Him, Rabbi... The Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again. Basically, what they're saying is, Lord, are you crazy? I mean, we just came from there. They almost killed you, and you want to go back there? And in their minds, Lazarus is okay. He said he's sleeping. That means he's getting well. Little do they understand that he's already died. And so in their minds, they're saying, Lord, you you don't want to do that. And so this is a, a test for them. But Jesus answered them in a very interesting way. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Basically, what he's saying here is that God, who sovereignly allows us breath and life, the span of our days, ultimately, all of it is in God's hand. Now, the Jews, they had 12 hours for the day, 12 hours for the night. And just as no one can lengthen or shorten day or night, no one can lengthen or shorten their own days. He's saying, it doesn't matter if we go back there. It is only on the appointed time that I will go. That's true for Jesus. And do you know it's true for us too? Job 14.5 says this, since, the days, since his days are numbered, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. It is God who sets the limit of our days. And we need to rest in that. But when you get that, that it is God who's in control, that our very breath is in his hand, do you know how bold you can be now for the Lord? Now you can say, well, Lord, my life is in your hands. It doesn't mean you step out in front of a truck. Jesus himself said, don't test the Lord. But it does mean if he calls you, You don't need to go in fear because he has you. He knows the very hairs on your head. And just as day and night are within his limits, your life is within his limits as well. And this is on two levels. It's on a physical level. That all we do is for the glory of God. Everything that we do, we make the most of our time. Ephesians 5.16 says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. But also, I think there's a spiritual meaning here. Jesus is the light of the world. All those that that do not have Christ, they are in darkness. But if you have him, you have the light of light in you. And in verse 10, he says, but if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. If you do not know Christ, you do not have the light of God in you. But if you know Christ, he is that light that others will see. Now, I don't know about you, but... This idea about waiting on God is really difficult for me, but I found it particularly difficult for my daughter, Emily, and her husband, Sam. They've been living with us now for over two years. The goal was, let's get Sam and help him get his degree without any debt. And so they've been living with us, and in that 
medium time they've been married, and they have a baby now, little Levi. He's nine months old. And so Sam, he, he got that degree this past November. He's a marketing degree, goal set, everything's good. Now he needs a job. And so since November, Sam has been interviewing, trying to find a job, and so far, no job. And so I can see it in them. They're thinking, man, God, what's going on? I mean, we're praying. We did everything right. We're waiting on you. And to them, God is late. Now, to Karen and I, we get little Levi around, <laughs> right? And we've seen him go from a little baby, and now he's a toddler. He's pulling up, and he's starting to form words. And so for us, like, hey, God, we're cool. Take your time. But in God's economy, guess what? He's right on time. God knows. With God, exactly it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. Two things. God allows suffering for His glory. God allows delays for His purposes. And here's our final one. God allows trials for our growth. God allows trials for our growth. The verses 11 through 16 says this, And He said to them, And after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. And the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And therefore Thomas, who's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. So Jesus begins here in verse 11. He says, our, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. Now again, sleep is a euphemism for death in, in the Bible and particularly for God's people. And the disciples, again, they think that the word sleep means that Lazarus is gonna recover. And they think, well, Lord, you know, I, I don't really understand why you wanna go there again. So you have this whole idea about why are we going there? If he's recovering, so Jesus just tells him in verse 14 plainly, Lazarus is dead. So he wasn't sick, he's dead. And then in verse 15, and then Jesus says this, he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So again, he's going to use this for God's glory, but he's also going to use this for their faith. Lazarus is dead. And we know the story, right? He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, if you remember, um, I believe it's Martha, she says, Lord, he stinketh right? He's going to be in the grave. He's going to be dead four days. And for the Jew, that's very important. At four days, it kind of had this teaching that the spirit would hover around the body for four days, but on the fourth day, it would leave. And that meant that they were really dead. And so that's why Jesus waits the four days to take care of that false thinking. And so he's going to go there. And why is he going to go there? Because it's going to bring great glory and honor to God. But the disciples, they're not glad. To them, this is a trial. To them, Lord, you're asking not only are you putting your life on the line, but you're asking me to put my life on the line. But Thomas, his response, he's called Didymus, said to his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's faith. And he gets a bad rap, right? He's called Doubting Thomas. But I think here, you see, he's the only one. He's saying, okay, God, Lord, we're going with you and we're gonna die. We're willing to do it. Right? So I see faith in him. But going back to Bethany is going to be a trial. And guys, all of us have trials. And God uses trials also. And trials are very much like suffering. But can I tell you something? Trials are not always suffering. Sometimes trials is actually surplus. 
I'm thinking of King Hezekiah. If you remember, King Hezekiah, he was deathly ill and God heals him. And then afterwards, his trial is this group from Babylon that come. Let me read that to you, 2 Chronicles 32, 31. It says, even in the matter of the envoys of the rulers of Babylon who sent to him to inquire of the worker that had happened in the, of the wonder that had happened in, in the land, God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. So this envoy from Babylon comes to what? So that God can know what's in Hezekiah's heart? No. God knows. He's omniscient. It's for Hezekiah to know. And by the way, this is at the top of his game. He is super wealthy. Everything's going great in Israel. He's at the pinnacle. And what should he have done? No, I don't need to show you anything because all goes to the glory of God. But instead, what does he do? Hey, let me show you what I've done. Pride. It was a test. And I got to tell you, having been in business for some 26, 7 years, whatever it was, it was those times of surplus and prosperity that God tested me more. Would I be really faithful with that big check? Would I add a zero to the tithe that week? Would I say, wow, look what I did? So many times it's in the surplus and the abundance that God is testing us. It's a trial. And it was a trial in Hezekiah's life as well. It's a testing of our faith. But God also uses trials really to help to wean us from this world. Have you seen that? As we get older, we begin to see more and more that this world doesn't have the luster that it once had. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things of the world. And often what God will do is He'll allow difficulty, struggle. Why? So that it will wean us away, pull us away from the wonder that's around us, and we'll begin to look up at what really matters. There's a third thing. God uses it to preserve our faith, to persevere to the end. James 1 and 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you consider various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. And verse 12 of James 1, 12 says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Difficulty in trials is what God often uses in our life to develop in us staying power stick the willingness to persevere to the end. It is the difficult things that kind of hone away and help us to remain. And then he says right there in verse 12, he says, for once they've been approved, they will receive the crown of life. The crown of life, which he promised to those who loved him, agape love, to those that he loved. That's this message. You are deeply loved by God. And He's allowed this difficult time in your life, this suffering. It's going to be used for His glory. And to you right now, you think, well, Lord, I don't think I can wait anymore. He will help you. And He's going to use those difficult moments so that at the end, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the joy of your Master. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your message. I thank you, Lord, for the word of God. I I thank you how you move by your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the truth that we found here. Lord, I confess it's not easy 
that this life, we really do have tribulations. But Lord, I also thank you that I can take heart that you've overcome. And in us, you've given us the ability to be overcomers as well. I pray for everyone here right now, Lord, as we we just kind of close, that by your spirit, you may do that ministry that you do. Minister comfort. Help people in their pain. In Jesus' name, amen.